welcome to the Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. Our podcast was created to provide a safe space where women can share inspiring stories, real life experiences, and new ideas for how to break barriers, overcome challenges, and grow their career and selves. The podcast features incredible interviews with inspiring women, as well as a series of sessions that are focused on how you can grow as a purpose-driven leader, how you can advance your career, and how you can achieve all the goals you cite for yourself, personally and professionally. We're just getting started, and we want you along for the journey. Follow us on Instagram at LatticerJennifer, and also visit our website at womenleadershipnation.com. Courtney Simmons is the Editor-in-Chief at Shopify, a Canadian multinational e-commerce company headquartered in Ottawa, Ontario. It is also the name of its proprietary e-commerce platform for online stores and retail point-of-sale systems. Courtney made her dream come true by writing her first novel on the coastline of Eastern Australia in 2010. She explains how she was supposed to be working, but instead made the decision to sit on the sand with her new laptop and write. When she returned home from Australia, she had a draft manuscript and her first book called Once We Were Stolen, which was successfully published. Courtney has accomplished so much at such a young age. Courtney is also a technology reporter for the Ottawa Business Journal, which publishes a bi-weekly newspaper and daily web content. In addition to her writing achievements, Courtney was a finalist in the Hot Mamas Project, a global case study competition based out of Washington, D.C., which collects stories from successful women across the globe. And now I would like to welcome Courtney Simmons to the Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're so welcome. I'm excited to be here. So when you were younger, what did you want to be? (laughs) I always wanted to be a writer. Ever since I learned how to hold a pen or a pencil, I guess it was maybe a crayon at first, I would scrawl down little stories and I would make my mom help me staple the pages so that I could have a book. You know, my grandpa was a published author and I always looked to him as an example and, and knew that I wanted to do that too, right off the bat. Oh, that's amazing. You know what? I actually did the exact same thing. I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> and I would hate to read my stories now because they didn't make any sense. But it's isn't it incredible how you... So you said your grandfather was an author, right? Or is an author? Yeah, yeah that's right. He was a, what's so funny is that I have always known him as an author and he has published multiple histories of his community. It's um, Oxford County out near Woodstock, which is near London. And he wrote a few books about the history of his town. And just knowing that he had done that always made me feel as though, oh, there's a role model. There's someone who is a writer. I can, I can see that being done. And I know I want to do that, but One thing that was interesting a while back is that I was chatting with my dad about how my grandpa is an author and he just sort of paused and said, 
you know, he didn't really even start writing until really late in his life. He worked for a moving company. He did a million other things. You know, no one else but me really thought of him as being a writer, you know, being an author as his as his sole sort of purpose and career. But it, I, I needed that. And, and I saw that in him and I saw the passion he had for it. So I'm grateful I, I viewed him always as a writer. <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing. And that, you know what, that speaks so much to what I'm seeing talking to so many different people is the idea of the journey, like you evolve into so many different things. So because you already had from the beginning, that passion and desire, sort of tell me a little bit about your career journey then. So where did you start? Did you start studying literature or... Yeah, so I moved to Ottawa and went to Carleton's journalism school because I wanted to write and I thought journalism does a lot of writing. <laughs> Which is only, it does make sense, but only to an extent, right? Because there's so much more to it. It's about interviewing and it's about writing really short, crisp, concise sentences instead of, you know, beautiful poetic ones. And I'm actually really grateful I did it because it taught me so many other transferable skills that I've been able to use uh, throughout my career. So when I did graduate from journalism school, I, I did a few things. I moved to Australia and wrote a novel on the beach because I had, you know, just wasn't ready for the real world yet and came back to Canada and started at a community newspaper. I worked there as the sole reporter. I'm sure many small town newspapers can relate to there being just one reporter, you know, Mm -hmm. on the job. Uh, I did that for a while and then moved on to the Ottawa Business Journal, which is a a local publication specializing in in local business news. And that's where I first encountered Shopify, which is a tech company headquartered in Ottawa. Uh, And I eventually made the leap to marketing, joining the Shopify team. And from there, I've been a ghostwriter, a lead writer, and now I'm editor-in-chief at Shopify. Oh, that's incredible. So I'm going to bring you all the way back to that beach Australia in Australia. <laughs> yes, please. I'd like to think about that beach yes. right now. <laughs> Don't we all wish that we were there right now, especially during COVID. It's not a bad place to be. When you were writing, what, you know, it sounds like you found so much peace and joy in that. What gave you that sense of, did you have a sense of freedom, I guess, when you were able to just sit on the beach and come up with, and what kind of story was it that you were writing? Oh, I can so relate to that feeling of freedom. Thinking of it now just gives me anxiety because I wasn't working. I wasn't bringing in income. And now I think of, oh my gosh, responsibilities and bills and all of this. So thankfully I had the the blissful ignorance of youth where I just thought, you know what? I've always wanted to write a novel. I'm going to do this. And it was one of the best things I've ever done for myself. I knew I wanted to write a book, but you have to have a great idea in order to do that, right? You can't just write yeah. about nothing. Yeah. And I actually had a, a dream or rather a nightmare once when I dreamt that my brother and I were kidnapped by this man who was somehow charming and likable. And I was deeply conflicted as to my feelings towards this person who was holding us. And I remember waking up from this dream and just feeling so deeply impacted. You know, that feeling in your gut when you, when you wake up and you're like, what was that? Like the emotions kind of linger into the waking. It's like it actually happened. It felt that way. And I sort of thought to myself, you know, if I could replicate that emotion, sort of bottle it up and put it into a novel, I think maybe I'd have something compelling. And so I use that as my sort of 
idea that I grew from. And I was quite methodical about it, actually. I kept a notebook of ideas and anecdotes. I started watching the world around me and writing down details about just things and people, how they moved and talked and did things. And I sketched out character profiles and, you know, behind the scenes details about who they were and what what they would act like. And it was only, I did all of this before traveling to Australia. It was only when I actually arrived there that I brought out my um, my brand new laptop. I wish I could say I wrote it all by hand, but I did write my first draft <laughs> on a laptop. And I would just camp out at the beach for hours and challenge myself to write as many words as I could every day until I finished it. I think it was about 140,000 words I wrote in maybe two and a half, three months. You were in the zone. And you know what I find? so interesting about that is I also studied journalism initially in my career and so I understand the idea of you're taught to um, to write on a deadline you're taught to write succinctly and quickly and it you, you're kind of it's almost uh, mechanical in a sense mm. but then you were able to actually learn some fundamental lessons I think but then you were able to then sit back and actually dive into your creativity and then really, so that's so amazing. Do you feel like some of those lessons then help prepare you later on in your career as you went out to be a journalist and then now in the tech field, did it help you from an innovation perspective even? I think so. One of the clearest lessons that I didn't put words to at the time, but what I've realized is that you know, every good piece of writing or journalism, it needs both science and soul. And so the science was the part I learned in journalism school, where it's about the facts and the interviews and being objective and all of those things. But you have to have soul. You have to capture the essence of, of humankind and, you know, universal stories. And you have to make people feel something. And so the best pieces are the ones that combine those two. That's amazing. And so now that you're so I want to learn a little bit more about you jumping into this tech world. How did you feel when you were given this opportunity? Was there any fear um, behind that, given that you don't have necessarily a history in technology, but like many others have jumped into another field, but being able to have different perspective? Oh my gosh, it felt like the hugest leap. It felt like this big risk. I was like, I went to school to be a journalist. I, I thought about my integrity. You know, there's this, there's this conception of PR and marketing being the dark side and, you know, this tech world I knew nothing about. I very much felt as though uh, it was, it was going to be a, a difficult transition for me. Plus when I did first join Shopify, it was on a marketing team um, to, to actually build out Ottawa's marketing-based team. And again, no marketing experience, no business school. I didn't have any of those skills that I sort of thought I must need them. But the reality was they somehow saw something in me and they trusted in my potential. They sort of figured that I could figure it out. And I took all my writing skills, my analytical research, editing, all those skills from the journalism world. And I brought them over to the tech side and I'm still learning along the way, but uh, it very much was, it almost felt like business school in and of itself, you know, showing up for work every day. It almost was like an education and I just had to figure it out as I went along. And I think a lot of people use the expression, fake it till you make it to describe something like that. And I've never really liked that expression because no one likes to seem like they're faking something. And what mm. I really think 
more, it's that you're just figuring it out. You're just working really hard to figure it out as you go. Yeah, I think, I don't know if you agree with this, but certainly something that I've learned in my career in terms of related to fake it till you make it, certainly when you're younger, you definitely do have that, oh, I don't want to let people know that I don't know as much as I, you know, and as you get older, you realize that if you're open and honest and say, okay, I've never done this part before, but I want to learn that people just come to you and are, they want to give you that knowledge and that insight. And in some ways, um, you know, having that on the ground knowledge is better than actually going and getting an MBA because a lot of what you're learning in an MBA is theory that you're actually never going to use. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, but you know, are, did you have some incredible mentors along the way as well? That's, it's an interesting question and I've thought a lot about it. And I honestly, I wish that I had more mentors along the way. I was never really good at asking for help. And I think maybe a lot of people can relate to that early in their careers that they maybe just don't feel worthy of of people's time or they don't know how to ask. I did have um, a really good editor who I was able to turn to and, you know, ask questions. But when I joined Shopify, I was usually the only person doing what I was doing. So I was usually, you know, the only, I was the only marketer on my team to start. Um, You know, when I was lead writer, I was the only lead writer, Um, those types of things. And what I've learned instead is that sometimes you sort of have to make your own peer network and and mentorship, um, you know, communication connections. And I've started reaching out to people I respect, people I've discovered on Twitter who love writing or are really good storytellers and just sort of gently and politely asking if they'd be willing to nerd out about writing with me just because I love talking about it. And, And they do too, you know, like that's what they've made their career doing. And I've been so surprised by the number of people who not only reply, but say yes. So I think I've finally learned how to ask for help. Um, but knowing that it is a reciprocity, you know, we're learning from each other. We're both sharing stories and ideas. And I wish I'd figured that out a little bit earlier, maybe. Um, but now it feels like a really fun side project just to be able to, to find other writers and storytellers and, and be able to work together and collaborate. Oh, that's so amazing. And are, you know, are you seeing some of that also increasing with COVID? So how, how is COVID sort of affect you? And, and also, are you seeing people wanting to come together and support each other a little bit more? I think what COVID has done is kind of erased the importance of geography. I think being based in an office in Ottawa, Canada, which is where I was based, you sort of think geographically, you can't help but think it. Oh, somebody else is in a different city. Oh, it's a different time zone, you know, all of this. But we've gotten so used to video calls now. And of course, we always have to think about time zones. But really, it almost feels as though the world is even more connected now. And I never hesitate to pick up the phone or schedule a Zoom call with someone in India or Australia or somewhere, as long as you can figure out the time. It just feels as though, yeah, geography has been erased a little bit. We're able to collaborate and and touch base with people from anywhere because we're all going through the same thing and we're all learning to use these tools to connect in ways where we're not physically in person, but we can still accomplish quite a lot. And how about your work-life balance? How has that affected now that you work from home? And (laughs) has it been a bit of a struggle? 
oh my gosh, I feel like everyone's had, there's so many ebbs and flows, right? When we started, the novelty factor was so intriguing to me. I was like, oh my goodness, I can work from my sweatpants. Like I live south of my city. So I had a long commute. I don't need to commute anymore. You know, all these shiny things that made me very excited But then the not seeing people, the sort of being holed up in a room alone, quote unquote, you know, constant meetings and videos, but no one physically near me. And that started to drain on me a little bit. Plus, I think some people have realized that we end up working way more, you know, like the day starts earlier because you don't have that commute and you can be responding to things in the evening because you just just right there, right? It's right there. Like, oh, just five more minutes. That's right. And unless you're setting those boundaries, it's really, really tricky. And so I've had to create a lot of rituals to help me through my days. And so in the mornings, uh, when I sit down to work, I light a candle and the duration of my workday is the time during which that candle is lit. And at the end of the day, when I blow out the candle, that's like my sort of signal to myself that I'm, that I'm done, that I step away. And that is that. And I've also made a habit of going for a lunchtime walk, just some fresh air in the middle of the day. Those little bits and pieces have been so crucial for getting me acclimatized to this work from home world. <laughs> I think that's so important. Oh my God, I'm I'm honestly laughing because I can show you my candle right now. I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> I know, that's amazing. I've got mine right here. And the smell doesn't hurt either, yeah. right? A little aromatherapy. <laughs> and the idea of going, like getting outside. So I've been working from home for a while now. And I think one thing that was really, I was thinking maybe it's just me. So I was working from home before COVID. And I was, it was the whole idea of like not getting dressed up or at mm. least from the bottom down <laughs> and, and like missing some of that and missing some of the interaction. And then now that the whole world is doing it in a sense, uh, you know, ma- large majority, it's, it's actually the fact that we're all going through this together and we're all recognizing, yeah, it's okay to miss that interaction and, is kind of, it makes you feel a little bit better. What at your, in your organization, do you feel, how is, how are the leaders supporting you and making sure that one, that everybody's okay, but then two, that you're maintaining that, that still that strong corporate culture, that positive, when you think of Shopify, you think of incredible culture and dynamic environment. How are, how are you doing that virtually? Well, that is a big question. And I think that Shopify used to build its brand and its culture around its physical workplaces, right? It was always, we've got the coolest offices and we get lunches prepared. And there's these collaborative spaces where you can do your best work and brush up against people in the hallway, you know, all of that. And what what thankfully I think the company and, and we all have realized is that really culture is about people. It's always about the people. It's never about the perks or the offices or any of that. And so recognizing that was like a whew, thank goodness moment because it was like we can retain and even improve on our culture even when we've changed everything that we thought we knew about, you know, co-working, you know, being in the same space with someone. And um, we've had a bunch of different 
amazing incentives from Shopify to sort of help us feel comfortable. We were given a budget to kind of set ourselves up at home, you know, working for a tech company, our technology setup is really important. So having a big monitor and the right keyboard and an ergonomic chair, like these things help us show up as our best selves to be working. Also just tons of open conversations and, you know, ask me anythings with our leadership about our decision-making and, and being open. Um, And also too, I think people just really leaning into how important it is to be human. Like I I actually kind of love the fact that although I'm more distant physically from my colleagues, I've seen their kids more than I ever have before. I've met their pets, you know, it's all of those. It brings the closest you would never have. Like the fact that you can see in somebody's home, even so private, right? And exactly. There's that part of it where you're learning bits of your colleagues that you've never seen before. And, and that is something special too. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, going forward into the future, even what post COVID is going to look like, um, I wonder if what that hybrid model is going to look like as well is that, you know, from, from your perspective, have, is there uh, any thoughts into how you navigate this new world going forward and how that's going to change even you as a leader? How does, how Mm -hmm. does that change how you lead? Absolutely. I think one of the things that our leadership team keeps reminding us is like this current setup, this is not the end state. This is not the ideal. You know, we're still, you know, even though things are changing, the pandemic is still ongoing and this is not what the end state will look like, which is reassuring because I think you're right that 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 hybrid model going forward will be the one because I think people have learned that since they can do their job from home, people aren't going to want to spend all those hours in their car commuting back and forth. And they're going to want that flexibility of being able to run an errand midday when you have to, you know, all those benefits that we have found from working from home. But what we will never be able to replicate digitally, I I personally don't think, are those in-person moments. So maybe for a big brainstorm meeting or a project kickoff or a team building event, having a physical space where you can gather together and spend that time and physically be near to one another, I I do think that will continue to be a lasting function of of office spaces and and in-person culture. Oh, I agree with you completely. Because I think, although you can do it, I think that it's, you really can't get the level of engagement you really want. And so, you know, what advice do you have for maybe younger um, graduates that are coming out of university that are wanting to get into this industry? And it is a completely different world now getting into something given the circumstances. What advice do you have for them? question. And I honestly think that it comes down to raising your hand is something that I've sort of learned is that you always have to be willing to advocate for yourself. And so I think that shows up in asking for opportunities, applying for jobs you think you may not be fully qualified for, that is okay. You know, maybe you've heard of the surveys and stats as well that especially for women applying for jobs, they will not apply if they don't think they have every single checklist. They have to have like 90% and men have like 60. (laughs) Exactly. 
Ah, it's all right. I can still. Oh, so, yeah, right. I think, you know, we need a little bit more of that, of the, well, I'll figure that part out, you know, let me apply anyway. So, so putting your hand up and honestly, even in this digital world, you know, just say you do have a job and you're starting a new career. It can be really daunting to be in a big quote unquote meeting room with all these faces on a screen. And it can seem quite daunting to unmute your mic and, and speak up in a way that is it's way scarier than being in a meaning room. I'm not sure what it is, no, but there's just something. Point. Honestly, right? like I hadn't, until you said that, I hadn't thought of that. Like, I think that because you, you can feel people's, when you're about to speak and you're in a group, you could, there's something about, you can read the energy in the room. You can read, you can feel, and you can get people's attention. So maybe you could look at the, the host of the meeting and then you know, indicate, but it must be very daunting, especially to those that are new in an organization to unmute and say something. That is an incredible point. Wow. And I do think that it's something that, you know, you have to build up a, a tolerance for just being uncomfortable and just saying, you know what, I do have something to say. I have something to offer. It's worthwhile for me to contribute and kind of coaching yourself into whatever it takes, even if it's that you don't get the confidence the first few meetings. And so you follow up afterwards with a note being like, oh, I wish I got to contribute this, but but here's what I'm thinking about this. Here's an idea that I have um, just to sort of build up some of that muscle in this digital world. Because especially now, people that are starting new careers, they may never have met any of their colleagues in real life either. So it's a big learning curve. Sorry, would you agree that maybe some of the leaders should also be more aware of that and maybe as leaders um, make more of an effort to then ask some of the new staff that are on board? What do you think? We haven't heard from you yet. Maybe there's some there's some opportunities both ways. I, I agree with the courage. I think that this is my perspective. I think that um, whenever you do something scary, that's when you're growing. So Mm -hmm. if you're doing something that doesn't scare you, you're not growing. (laughs) Maybe you're maybe, you know, evolving slowly, but when it's when you really take the jump and you, you know, go and speak in front of 200 people and it terrifies Mm -hmm. you and you do it and you finish it and you're like, Oh, you know, wow. You you took that next leap. So being able to unmike, you know, unmute yourself and speak, you're, it's going to get easier. Would you say? Absolutely. But I I think you're right. You raise a point that it is sort of, it is a reciprocity. It shouldn't only fall to that person. And I think it is smart for leaders to, to call upon or provide opportunities for more of a round table, you know, where everyone sort of gets a chance for an update uh, in, in some ways, which is tricky. And on the confidence front, I can't help but think that I'm not sure if it's, it's women specifically more than men or me more than other people, but you know, it feels like sometimes confidence is the biggest barrier that people face. We're sort of our own worst self-saboteurs, right? (laughs) Um, And one of the things I remember early in my career that I figured out to kind of help me build up that confidence was that I created something that I called a win log. And it basically was a, a document that I started. And anytime I had anything 
professionally that resembled a win, whether it was a successful project or, um, you know, a good performance review or a testimonial, just anything that sort of validated the work I was doing and the progress I was making. I would keep a record of it in that document. And I'd have every public speaking opportunity, every successful email campaign, et cetera, et cetera. And then on the days when I was feeling low, when that like confidence battery was just depleted, I could open the document and be my own hype person and read through it and be like, wow, these are the things I've accomplished. I must be able to accomplish more. And that was really, really psychologically helpful for me. It still is. I still use it, but way more useful earlier on. (laughs) Oh, I think that, you know what, that is so, it's so valuable from the perspective of, like you said, when you're having a down day, like we all have. And and if you're pushing yourself, you're going to have more of those, right? Mm -hmm. So to be able to look at that and then, and also I love it because, you know, it's so much happens. You're so busy in life, right? Mm -hmm. And so to be able to go back on, say, if you are eventually going for another opportunity or you need to, you forget. Exactly. (laughs) So to be able to look at all that stuff, I think that's so valuable for sure. Yeah. So for you, you know, it's, you've done so much already. And is there anything that you use, you know, on your list that you're like, oh my gosh, I still need to, or I still want to work on this, or I still want to accomplish that. Ooh, I think I'm going to do something brave. I have a writing project that I really want to work on. Um, So as I've mentioned, I, you know, I I previously wrote a fictional novel and I, and I self-published that early in my twenties and I'm proud that I did it. But what I've learned is that I really love the medium of, of nonfiction and especially creative nonfiction. I love, you know, the truth is stranger than fiction. Like why would you invent a world with fake characters when there's so much richness in the world around us? And so I've decided that I want to write a book about bulimia specifically. I personally um, struggled with bulimia for a really long time growing up, and I never found a book that I could turn to that had all the information, all the you know research that had been done, genetic components, data, demographics that didn't really exist anywhere and still doesn't anywhere that I've been able to find. And so I'm on a bit of a personal quest to interview scientists and doctors and survivors and people who are still sort of struggling through and write a nonfiction based book. That's not a memoir. You know, my story will be loosely woven through, but not about me. Um, And sort of that's big on my bucket list of something I'm really working towards and uh I'm not, I haven't said it out loud yet to anybody I'm so, so. Proud of you. <laughs> I'm so proud Thank of you. you. you know what? Like that's a passion project, right? Mm-hmm. And honestly it's gonna make such a difference in so many people's lives. And I, I can tell you um personally somebody very, very close to us also struggled um and was in the hospital for some time. And it's it's something like, you know, you live with your whole life. So that must have also having something, you know, so significant like that in your life. I know when I was 15, I had 16, I had cancer and overcame that. But do you feel like those experiences, I know for, for me, that's the case really impacted also your, your direct trajectory and 
Yeah, it's it's funny because sometimes I feel like it, it negatively impacted me. Like I feel like when I was sort of in the grips of it at the most is when I was least able to ask for help. And that showed up in so many ways. I couldn't ask for help about my health. I couldn't ask for help about my career. I couldn't ask for help from my friends. And so in some ways I do feel it made my mountain even steeper. I don't feel like it was like a cheat code or something where I was like, Ooh, I've got these skills I can, you know, levy and, and leverage. Um, but I do think it made me stronger in some ways and more willing to sort of dig in and, and fight. And so, yeah, it's been sort of a, a twisting and turning thing, sometimes making things harder, sometimes teaching me lessons. That's amazing. Like you, this resilience, right? Mm-hmm. Well, anything I can do certainly to, to, you know, any, anybody that I know that I can connect you with related to that, I think that is so, so worthwhile for you to do. And it's going to be almost like your own personal journey as well. Right. Awesome. I really appreciate that. And I do agree. And it kind of leads into some advice that I would definitely give freely is that anyone who is focusing on their, you know, career and their life, we are all so busy, but never forget about your passions, right? Make time for your hobbies. And, you know, for me, it's always been writing. So always making sure I have a writing project on the side, just something to give me purpose. And it's okay to take breaks, especially in times like these when everything is so wild and taxing, but really always coming back to that and knowing that, you are more than your job. You're more than, you know, any one part of you. You're you're greater because of the sum of those parts. Uh, and always remembering what joy and artistic expression can come from those creative projects and not, not forgetting about that. Well, I'm also going to connect you to uh, an incredibly inspiring woman that I just interviewed yesterday or the day before and um she's an author she's published uh, multiple books as well but what she exactly what you said that a lot of times and I think people are waking up to this now with COVID is that you associate who you are and I was the same who are you oh you're you're, you say your title like you say I work here and I'm Mm -hmm. this but that's not who you are and now that people are in some cases finding more time they're able to look back and say wow, I don't have the hobbies that I used to mm-hmm. when I was younger. And t- kind of, do you find that um, by you writing more and having that passion that it actually makes you, it opens up other um, ideas that you have that you can bring to your career and to other areas of your life as well? Absolutely. And I think it helps build me out as a person. So what's funny about all this d- like new time that we all discovered in this yeah. COVID world is that, I was really not pleased with how I was spending that extra time. I just sort of felt like I was surviving. And it was like, if at the end of a long day in front of my computer, I ended up in front of another screen of the TV, yeah. like that was okay because and you might have been it was exhausted. a pandemic. Exactly, right? You know, and we get exhausted. And exhausted from commuting and everything else. And it's just hits you. That's it's right. But I, but I decided early this year to sort of harness my free time in a new way. And so I made myself a calendar and for every day of the week, I've assigned myself two to three non-work related goals. So sometimes it's as simple as like movement, like just make sure I go for a walk or something. Some nights it's writing, like make sure you're doing writing that is not for work. It's just for you. On Sundays, it's like, do something self-care, you know, Saturdays, it's do something social, you know, distanced or virtual, but whatever it is. 
because on Mondays I do house cleaning because that needs to be done and I might as well, you know, do it. And I, I find that it's kind of gamified my time in a way that is very pleasing to me. I'm a very sticker oriented person. I get to put yeah. a little special green sticker when I've like checked the box off, you <laughs> oh know, my just God, appealing so to my similar. inner kindergartner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we could nerd out on uh, organization <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I believe that that could be a whole other topic. Yeah. I'm deeply into it. <laughs> I actually do believe that. I believe in it strongly, though. Um, I think that, you know, to be able to to really reflect on and, and section out everything that you have to do, if, it, if you're that type, it actually, I think it clears your mind mentally. Mm-hmm. You find that you get stressed if there's, if you haven't had that time to organize and to really think through. No, that's great. <laughs> I'm not the only one. <laughs> that's awesome. We're, we're kindred organizational spirits, I think. Exactly. <laughs> So in terms of, um, you know, going forward and and that type of thing, are you um, in in your career in in, uh, tech? One question I'd like to ask you, too, is do you see that um, that the whole tech world, do you see that it opening up and closing, starting to close a gender gap for for women in that industry as well? It is a good question. I mean, if you Google the term entrepreneur or business person right now, you will see a wall of white males. And it's unfortunate that we do still have some of these stereotypes where, you know, an entrepreneur is just like a white guy in a hoodie in San Francisco. Um, What I'm really excited about is that we're making massive strides in changing that. I think COVID as awful and hard as it has been, has actually been really beneficial in other ways where some people who never thought of themselves as as business owners or being able to access this kind of tech have had to turn to it because they need to support their family or they want to keep their brick and mortar store alive and they want to bring it online. And it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or, or you're, you know, what color your skin is, any of that. Um, I think that slowly we'll get to a place where we recognize that it's just, you know, technology is useful for all of us. It's a tool we all can use. And I really do hope that we keep making strides there. Yeah, I think that's where, you know, I think we're so grateful for your organization as well. Like, I think it is really helping entrepreneurs to be able to be sustainable and to grow. And that's so needed right now. And, Mm -hmm. and also giving people the courage, like you say, to be able to say, well, Sometimes it takes pain to actually make a change. And this pain is getting people to say, okay, I've always had this idea. Now I have to try it because I'm laid off or whatever's happening. So we're seeing some of that. Um, You know, I'd love an opportunity if you'd like to maybe talk a little bit about how your organization helps, because I'd love, I think people need to hear it. Yeah. Oh, I would love to. I mean, I, uh, you know, Shopify has a deep spot in my heart. I've been here for almost eight years, which doesn't seem like that long, but it's sort of a a lifetime in the tech world anyway. And I've seen many different versions of the company, but what has always stayed the same is this intense focus on mission, on, on making commerce better for everyone. That is the company's mission. And the idea is that 
you know, more voices are better than fewer. Enabling more entrepreneurs to exist in the world is going to be way better for everyone. It's better for those entrepreneurs and their self-expression and purpose. It's better for people who then have more choice. Um, you know, it's just this sort of beautiful network effect where the more entrepreneurs we can help create, the better we can the more we can use commerce for good, you know, often people think of capitalism as being a negative thing, but the reality is that humans have traded and bartered forever, you know, it's part of what makes us human. And so sort of enabling that giving opportunities to people who didn't maybe think opportunities existed and being able to launch an online store, but also being able to sell from anywhere, whether it's on social media or at a pop-up shop you know, shop when those are a thing again in the future, which of course they will be. (laughs) Or even Um, an outdoor pop-up shop. (laughs) That's right. Yes. A distanced one or whatever it may be. Um, But that is really exciting to me to be part of a company that makes every single decision based on that mission. You know, it's, um, it's not about what is good for Shopify's bottom line. It's like, how do we create more entrepreneurs? And then the business case will follow that, you know, if we stick with that mission. So I've been really delighted to to see that. And also just that we're a little bit more bold about it. We used to always be in the background. We were just the, you know, e-commerce software that people would use for their, for their stores. But now we've reached a, a scale where we can sort of leverage and, and offer things to small businesses that maybe they wouldn't have been able to bargain or barter for on their own. So that's been a really neat part of the, the growth journey. Oh, that's amazing. And certainly that's something that I encourage any listeners to take a look at because right now people are looking at, you know, starting new companies or continuing to, or even reimagining. I know um, my, one of my girlfriends, she owns a salon and she's had to close and then open and then close. And I believe she's working with Shopify and she finally got online and is starting. So, you know, in the future, this is going to be amazing because, mm-hmm. you know, we are going to get out of this and then everything that you've, how you've pivoted, you still are going to have that as well. Mm-hmm. So any, exactly. so any other final advice that you might have for, for women sort of leading in this, this era, this mm. time? I think it's sort of like a, a second part to my earlier advice, uh, something I learned is that, you know, you don't always have to wait for someone else to decide that you're perfect for something. You don't have to wait for someone to say, oh, you know, Courtney's an expert on this topic. She can do it. If if you have the skills to back it up, you're allowed to speak for yourself and say, I would be perfect for this. I could do this for you. And being that self-advocate and also sort of you can't hit a home run if you don't step up to bat. And sort of learning to step up to bat for yourself and taking those risks and raising your hand and just throwing it out to the universe. Because even if you ask for an opportunity that doesn't end up coming to you, that person still knows you raised your hand. And in the future, who knows what might come of that? So don't just keep your ambitions to yourself. Don't hide them close to your chest. Throw them out there. And you have no idea what might be in store for you if you're willing to do that. Oh my God. That's amazing advice. And you know, that, that makes me think of too, another question I just want to ask you, you know, it is true when you put yourself out there, sometimes you are not going to get the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And in just, I believe, and you know, it's just because it wasn't meant for you. There's something else, but you know, 
in, in your life, what do you do or how do you overcome that feeling of maybe if you're feeling a little bit stuck, how do you kind of get unstuck? Yeah, it is a good point. I, I think being stuck is sort of, for some people, they're very happy just to have a, a smooth career, you know, and just have things be sort of status quo. But the blessing and curse of ambition is such that you're, you want to keep reaching and climbing and, and trying new things. And I, I've often found that, you know, careers kind of, they do come in ebbs and flows. And sometimes you're just like down, at Shopify, we sort of call it like the valley of despair, you know, and you're going to have those moments when you're in this valley of despair, nothing quite seems right. But the good news is that once you make your way up out of the valley and you start climbing the next hill, it'll be a higher peak than your previous one. So you're, you're going up and down, but you're still charting upwards. And whenever I've been stuck, I've sort of forced myself to do some introspection and reflection and ask myself, you know, what am I not happy with? What would make me happy? Is it that, you know, is it that I'm not being challenged enough? Is it that I don't enjoy what I'm doing? Just like actively causing yourself to, to reflect and and ask those hard questions to get yourself unstuck. Um, and also raising it with other people again, back to the, you know, putting your hand up. Um, there's, there's lots that can come from that. I really think it just takes a lot of work just to not be, don't expect that you'll just automatically know what is making you stuck. You're going to have to think long and hard about it. And that's really the only way up and out the other side. Well, I just want to thank you so much for being, first of all, giving us so much advice and also for being so brave and oh. talking about your new project. And thank you. I, I, I think the world of you. So I'm oh, so grateful you. to have you on the show for sure. That's awesome. Thank you, Jenna. This was really, really fun. I'm really grateful that you invited me on. Thanks for listening to the Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at latticerjennifer and visit us on our website at www.womenleadershipnation.com. Together, we can keep breaking barriers.